guys i hope you guys are doing well so much has gone on this past weekend and so this episode will largely be about unpacking that and as always anytime harry and megan are about to do one of their projects give an interview go on a show there's a lot of shenanigans that happen in england uh in the press a lot of crazy things <laughs> come about, but each time that happens, it reveals a little bit more about not just the royal family, not just the media, but Harry and Meghan's experience in that particular context. Uh, a lot of things are said that are unsaid in how just the behavior plays itself out anytime Harry and Meghan are close to a microphone. It's kind of bizarre, but this podcast will be about three things that we found out this weekend or three things that happened this weekend. I'm recording this on a Sunday night. Uh, we have the NPR interview, that five or eight minute segment that we all listen to. <laughs> well done, NPR, because you had my attention for the whole whole entire two hour show. Um, that interview and then what happened before it, which is the article about Prince Charles or the news about Charles deciding to not give Harry and Meghan's children titles when he becomes king. And then the Robert Lacey excerpt from the re-release of the book that came out last year and, and apparently didn't do all that well. So a strap in, get your latte, your wine, whatever you sipping on. Maybe you're walking, maybe you're at work, maybe you're driving, but let's talk about it. First up, the bench, the bench interview on NPR Weekend Edition with Christian Robinson and Megan. That was a pleasant surprise to hear Christian also on the call talking about his work, talking about uh, the book itself. As far as I know, before the interview, it was just billed as Megan. Uh, so that was a really great surprise to hear him on the interview. And it was also really nice just to hear Megan's voice. As some of you guys may know, the interview was actually recorded before she gave birth to Lily. And they probably, I'm pretty sure they timed it and planned it to where it was released on, on Father's Day. That's really sweet. I loved learning about new tidbits that we didn't know or that they hadn't shared before uh like the bench being a gift to harry like the actual bench uh at their home being a gift and the fact that the poem is on the bench itself that is so sweet and they just sound like a lovely little family and when you hear her talk about her family and just how in love she is with this this time in her life it's like she deserves nothing but that, like nothing but the best. Um, and as I was listening to it, I was thinking, you know, this is what, this is why Megan has done so well in life, period. Really Harry as well. Uh, is It's that authenticity that comes across. She has to fake nothing, right? And that's really the goal that any of us would aspire to in adulthood. But you get the sense that 
You know, if you ever uh, watch the video where she's an 11 year old talking about the the commercial and the dish liquid and all of that. She's basically an adult version of that. And that that is a gift. Okay, when you listen to her talk, like the way she speaks and even her mannerisms, even her verbal intonation habits, if you will, it's exactly who she is. Like, so to me that, and she's almost 40. So that's a whole 30 year difference, just about. She hasn't really deviated from who she is. And when I was listening to it, I was like, well, this is why she wins. Because when you are yourself and you're happy with who you are and you don't second guess yourself, you know, you just learn in life as you go, but you always bring yourself to the table. You can't lose. And that's why she connects with people in ways that other people wish they could. And it's one of those things that Megan has always connected to young women about is just being themselves, knowing who they are, loving who they are, and just doubling down on being yourself, right? That is what breeds confidence in a person. And when you look at Megan's life, Megan is an incredibly confident person. It was just good to hear that again in that NPR interview. Megan also shared her perspective and insights on what the book means to her but also what it can mean to anyone else, uh, saying it's a love story. While this was inspired by the love that I see between my husband and our son, this story and this connection, that bond that you're seeing play itself out, that could be with the mom, it could be with a caregiver, that could be with the sibling. It's really just about growing with someone and having this deep connection and this trust so that be it good times or bad, you know that you have this person and you know you can always go back to this place that you share together. How sweet, how adorable, Megan. She just puts things in such a beautiful way. And by the way, I got that quote directly from archwell.com and on the little cards that are there, I love how it has her name, Megan, the Duchess of Sussex, author. And you also have a quote from Christian, the illustrator, You have many quotes, but that was included on Archwell. But he says the story visually begins with a look at the author's actual family depicting them in little moments. But then it goes on to share and show all kinds of different families. I think for me, inclusivity and representing as many different families as we could was at the heart of this book. And it's true. I mean, what Megan said in the interview was that it was not just about black and white, But just creating a book that anyone could look at it and say, hey, that's just like me, whether it's the dad with the tutus, whether it's a little black boy, whether it's a little kid with a a parent in the military, um, and just feeling like you're a part of the narrative. That was important. And she shared that when she was younger, she didn't always feel uh, represented in a narrative as a little mixed girl, I'm sure. So that was important. And it it was really beautiful how that ultimately came across when you got the finished product of the bench. Megan also wrote a little note on the Archwell website about her appearance on NPR and how the book came to be, how it became 
the book essentially and what her thought process was like as a creator uh, that allowed this project to come to fruition. I won't read the whole note, but there's a really sweet inclusion about her observation of the relationship between Harry and Archie and ultimately connecting that to so many stories across the world uh, between families of all different kinds. She said, it became clear to me that the story of the bench may have been for my husband and son, but it wasn't simply about them. It was reflective of what so many other mothers and partners see in their other halves. The growing bond that I was in privileged observation of was universal. The tenderness of the relationship between Harry and Archie, also role modeled by millions of other families around the world, reveals in its subtle quietude that the moments of being as much as in doing matter. They illustrate that when we teach our sons that there is strength in vulnerability, power and kindness, and beauty in showing emotion, that we create the basis for a more equitable world for everyone, not simply for boys and men, but for women and girls. On this Father's Day, we celebrate you, those who lead by example, who lead with love, and who recognize that the dad you are for your son today defines the man he becomes tomorrow. Megan the Duchess Sussex. I love her. I love her. First of all, I didn't even know quietude was a word. Wet. I learned. <laughs> and like I have you have like she writes. She's so intelligent. Like she writes. And you have no doubt that what you're reading came from her brain and her heart, especially in this case, because she's speaking from experience, experience as a parent now. Um, but I, I mean, whew, I love her. Harry boy, you'd have lucked up. You lucked up because you really have a winner because that woman is everything. Other stuff I took from the interview, uh, I... I didn't know Christian didn't work primarily in watercolor. That's amazing because the pictures are so incredible in that book. But I, you know what? When I was looking at the bench and I was just kind of going through it the first time, because I had previously looked at his work when, you know, when we learned that he would be the illustrator for the book. And I couldn't put my finger on it, but something, it, it didn't look the same as the pictures that I had seen. And now I know, know why, because he was like, uh, he normally just you know takes photos and works in acrylics whereas watercolor is just it it's look it looks completely different if you go back and compare his other work but you wouldn't know that <laughs> that was a stretch for him you would not know that he was not comfortable doing watercolor that's just how beautiful the pictures are and I like that Megan pushed him to do something or to to step outside of his comfort zone as he said uh, to soften up the actual uh, images to to match the mood of the poem and, and what she had envisioned. So I I loved hearing that. And it's so great to hear coll collaborators talk about their process, um, not just as artists, but with each other. I love it because at the end of the day, Megan is an artist, among other things, you know, but uh, that was really cool to learn. And then I, I love that Christian shared uh, more about his upbringing and just his 
own connection to the story based on his own upbringing, even though he wasn't brought up by his father, connecting to it in his own way. Megan also shared that Archie loves his little books. Uh, As I said on Twitter, I know Oprah keeps the young nephew stocked up. You feel me? Um, (laughs) Megan probably keeps him stocked up. Um, You know, Megan grew up a reader. You can tell that, you know, Doria, his grandma probably keeps him stocked up. I mean, I love that. All kids should be surrounded with books and like, actual books like even as I'm on Archwell Megan is reminding me of my screen time right now so I don't get the feeling that Archie's gonna be no iPad toddler you feel me um and shout out to NPR for real because you know all my woke libs out there we love that they had the world exclusive and I know weekend edition that was probably y'all's highest rated episode for the year because you know Sussa Squad is global, period. But we love that for y'all. So shout out to Megan. <laughs> Megan, I don't really know the, whether she does this type of stuff on purpose, but you know how people always be trying to call her woke, which by the definition, woke is just simply not being an asshole. But Megan is like, okay, well, shit, let me go to the woke station then. Because who? They have the world exclusive. And I love that for NPR. Like, I I listen to NPR quite frequently. Like, half of the podcasts in my phone are NPR stations. So, uh, shout out to Terry Gross with Fresh Air. You know, that's my girl. That's my girl. You feel me? Um, but, yeah, y'all, y'all got to get into Terry Gross because y'all want to listen to somebody interview. Yeah. Get, in, get into Terry Gross. If you haven't picked up the bench or bought the bench for someone that you know or love, uh, get into it. Get into it. You can find her on Amazon. You can find her at your local bookstores, most certainly. Or you can purchase the audiobook. So, and hear Megan herself read the story. Uh, Well done, Megan. Well done, Christian. And... Thank you so much for sharing that with us and sharing your insights and also sharing that story with the world and allowing the world to relate to it, because that's really what we all need is to reconnect with one another, especially after the last year and a half or so. So well done to Megan and Christian on that. Next up, there's a story about Charles and the slim down monarchy and the story of him not wanting to make Archie or Lilibet either a prince or princess when he becomes king. Now, the overwhelming consensus on that, uh, or at least the reaction to that story, was that nobody was surprised, first and foremost, because Megan said it back in March in the interview when the interview aired. That's also part of the spin that was really damaging. I thought, can you just tell them the truth? Can you say to the world, you're not giving him a title and we want to keep him safe and that if he's not a prince, then it's not part of the tradition? And she told us about the convention, right? The convention that a monarch, if that monarch has grandchildren, that those grandchildren have the right, quote unquote, to be called prince or princess 
not just the heir, but the grandchildren. It's why Eugenie and Beatrice are princesses. Well, Megan said in the interview, no, 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 they want to change the convention. All right. So even in the interview, that tells me that they had already been told there had been some rumblings of Charles not wanting to uh, make Archie or Lilibet princess or a prince in that having those titles. And I'm not necessarily saying that it's because of race, but I mean, you gotta, you gotta look at that and you gotta consider that as being a part of it. Now people have been saying, well, you know, Charles has been talking about the slim down monarchy for quite a while, which might be true. But when I heard this, the very first thing I thought about, and I know Charles is different from Will, and they're they're going to, you know, have their own quote-unquote style of monarchy, if Will even makes it, girl, because I'm still not convinced. But there's no way that Will's grandchildren, right, are going to not carry the title of prince or princess. So to change the convention only for it to change back, which you know it's going to change back. Why does it skip Harry and Meghan? Why does it skip their children? One has to wonder. And so it's so funny that they say, we're very much not a racist family. And even though articles come out about how they're exempt from racist laws and the only jobs good enough for immigrants and Black and brown folk were domestic servants, but not the clerical jobs. And the fact that <laughs> the very first, or at least openly, uh, the very first non-white royal family members of color or those that have non-white blood uh, that are grandchildren of the monarch are not going to be given the title of prince or princess. You got to wonder whether Megan's race, the children's race, or the family's racist views play a part. Now, on one hand, Harry and Megan's kids, they're going to be just fine. Archie and Lily don't need titles. They are literally on a first name basis <laughs> with the world. Everybody knows who they are. Um, but on the other hand, this makes the royals look just as racist as they are described. And in my mind, all this does is recycle the question of who said what about Harry and Meghan's future children's skin color. Because it's one of two people, I believe. It was either William or it was Charles. And in the last week or so, it's been reported that there were multiple conversations about what their children would look like and what their skin color would be. And given that the royal family and, you know, those who speak anonymously for the royal family, all these sources and things like that, are saying that, well, you know, no, 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 no. It has nothing to do with race, but everything to do with saving the taxpayers money. Well, then it seems like the taxpayers would want to know who said such an egregious thing, who's going to be the face of their country see because you can't have it both ways you can't say the taxpayer cares about saving money and the taxpayer doesn't care 
about their monarch being a bigot. And while there may be some taxpayers who fit that description, there's millions of people in England and in the UK who do want to know who said whatever they said about Harry and Meghan's future children. And those children are now here. The subject of this article saying their granddad is not going to give them the title. Another thing about this, royalists, monarchists, apologists for the royal family, they gaslighted Meghan yet again after this Oprah interview came out and the topic was they weren't going to give Archie a title and they took away their security and things like that. What they said about Megan was, oh, no, 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 no. She's misunderstanding. When Charles becomes king, her kids are going to be given the title of prince or princess. That's the convention. She just doesn't know what she's talking about. And now that this article comes out, the narrative has changed. And so that right there is a taste, just a taste of what Megan has experienced for her entire time in the royal family. Because now the narrative is, well, what does Harry and Megan want their kids to have titles for anyway? They're not working members of the royal family. They're not taxpayer-funded members of the royal family. They don't even live in the UK. Why do their kids need a title? They're celebrities. They're off in Hollywood doing Hollywood things. They didn't want to be royal. They didn't want their kids to be royal. Why should anybody be upset that their kids won't have the titles? Okay, so let's go with that. If they're non-royals and just celebrities and their kids mean nothing in the grand scheme of things, then stop writing about them. Stop talking about them in your chat shows. Stop smearing them and putting their names in articles that aren't even related to them just for clicks. And tell your royals, the ones who are taxpayer funded, the ones who are doing all of this quote unquote good work for your monarchy. Why don't you tell them to stop copying everything Harry and Meghan do to this day? and are constantly looking for new ways to copy them. As a matter of fact, stop engaging with the Sussex narrative altogether. Isn't that what you guys promised? Isn't that what you said? You said that after a few months of them being married, they would go off into the countryside and be irrelevant. When that didn't happen, you told them that if they were unhappy, they could just leave. And that's how they could get their privacy and people would just stop talking about them. Well, when that happened and you finally got them out of the country, well, then you started telling lies. You just made up shit. Just made it up. Because you refuse to actually look at the lives of the folks that you're paying for. No, you don't look behind those doors. You just made up stuff about Harry and Meghan. But then complained about them wanting a private life. They can still be public figures and have a private life, but you shouldn't be concerned about their public or private life, remember? Like you made them pay back Frogmore Cottage, the only royals to ever do that. That's another thing that makes you think, well, well, damn, these people are racist because if it was a white girl, they wouldn't have done it. Even if it was a white girl that came from money, they would have made her, made her or Harry pay back Frogmore Cottage. But they did that anyway, and they're still paying rent on it. 
people in England have no right to care about what the Sussexes are either doing with their lives, what the children are doing, what the children look like. That's why Megan doesn't share ch- uh, pictures of her kids. So the people in England, you can't have it both ways. I personally don't care whether Archie or Lily ever have a title. I don't. I don't care whether Harry and Meghan have a title. But what I'm not going to be silent about is the fact that those who are the loudest critics of Harry and Meghan, they want their cake and they want to eat it too. When Harry and Meghan spoke their truth and told the world what the tea was, they were criticized and said that they were complaining. Why won't these two just be quiet? And then when that truth comes to be in front of the world, they say, well, oh, well, you know, we just want to save money. Oh, that's the best thing for the country right now. How does England spend money when Archie has his own security, when Lilibet will have her own security? It's just a name. It's just a, it's a title. Whose money are you saving? That just doesn't make sense. And then you have those who are in the family who still have titles who do nothing for the family. Andrew has titles. How much is it to maintain his life every year? He ain't adding none to the family. He's taking away. But y'all don't want to say nothing about that. Y'all have no questions about that. Harry and Meghan, on the other hand, when they were working royals, they did more than you could argue the entire family combined probably save the queen and maybe Charles because they did go on a lot of engagements. But if we're talking about the future of the monarchy or this idea of a modern monarchy, Harry and Meghan were that. They were modern members of the royal family pushing pushing the popularity of the British monarchy into the future. And then you see what happened when they left. They went right back into the dark ages. You can, on the surface, try to dress like Megan. You can, on the surface, try to get yourself a quote-unquote legacy project after a fucking decade in the family. You can do all of these surface things. You can do those things. But as soon as they left, the view of the monarchy in the minds of the public was whatever it was before she got there backwards and y'all are not doing yourselves any favors because you can't modernize on the surface and we know you're not trying to modernize underneath and it's honestly things like this everything that's really happened this weekend from the the article about the titles to you know the Robert Lacey quote-unquote revelations to the even just the Camilla Tomini stuff which I'm going to get get into in a second this is where I hope that Harry kind of stays away because they don't mean him any good they don't mean his family any good they don't mean his children any good and I understand that it is hard to break ties with family he's going to have to question a lot of what he thought he knew and he's going to have to look at it with a fresh set of eyes He's going to have to look at not just what his wife experienced, but also what he experienced because these people have also gaslighted him and not just the institution, not just the family. We're talking about the media and these quote unquote citizens who claim to love them. 
or love him. I mean, they've literally told him, sever your family and come back home. That is sick. All right. So that's that's one thing. But whenever he does go back to England, like we saw after the funeral, Prince Philip's funeral, we saw how the media treated him in the lead up. We saw how they did whatever was expedient while he was there, whether it was calling Kate the peacemaker. I have the feeling that they're going to do that for the Diana thing uh, as well. Her the peacemaker. Oh, and then it was Charles. Wait, Charles is the actual peacemaker. Um, And then after he left, it was just more of the same, like more of the same out of Kensington Palace, uh, more of the same out of Clarence House, more of the same out of the press, out of the trolls. So they try to, it's like, again, it's, it's sort of both sides of the coin. People wanted to have it both ways. We love you, Harry, but we hate you, Harry. You know, we hate you for loving your family, Harry. Forget them. Get rid of them by any means. Just come on back home. And it's the sick idea of just wanting Harry to be this third wheel to this failing marriage. It's so strange. And we're going to see more of that coming up in really just a few days for this statue unveiling. Um, In the podcast I made about the Prince Philip funeral, or at least uh, the lead up to it, I said I was going to wait. I said I'm more concerned with how the family behaves after he leaves. And that's what this is. This is what we see. And as far as the Diana statue unveiling goes, like I said, they're going to try to make Kate the peacemaker because they're the press is stuck between always trying to prop Kate up for doing literally nothing, um, trying to mold her into this, you know, oh, she's your future queen. Oh, she's regal. Oh, she's a diplomat. Well, we know none of those things are true. I mean, because KP says it themselves, (laughs) but and the whole Robert Lacey thing. But like, how can you act as a quote unquote peacemaker as the press is trying to promote this idea? Because, you know, they're going to do it. And yet just a couple of days ago in the Robert Lacey piece, for example, there was a quote from the quote unquote friend of William who says that Kate was wary of Megan from the start. We're talking about before she even became a fiance to Harry. How are you going to be a peacemaker between your husband and her husband when that was just in like in the papers days ago? And so this is where I kind of speak of Harry and his relationship with his family. That's unforgivable to me. That type of thing is unforgivable to me. Never mind the fact that your wife was seeking help, you know, crying out for help, suicidal because of this lie and and this same type of bullying, like the lie of she made Kate cry and, you know, just all of the slandering that took place within that, that time frame because it was a lot. It's a lot. To the point where she was suicidal, you went to your family or at least within the institution and nobody had anything for you. 
Your family questioned what your kids would look like. You know what I'm saying? Um, now they're not getting the titles, the same title that you have. Because if, if there was a quote-unquote slimmed-down monarchy when Elizabeth was the queen, Prince Harry wouldn't be a prince. And suddenly that's not good enough for your son. So it's like you can't I, – I don't see how you view these types of people as family. So I know it's going to be a slippery slope for Harry. It's, uh, it's a cult, the monarchy, the family. It's a cult. If you call your family a business, and I understand it is a unique family for what it is in a historical context, but it's a cult. And Harry said it himself, history, they were trying to have history repeat itself. So between how your mother's life ended and how your wife's life almost ended and the disregard for your children's lives, I got to say, and I love, I love Harry to death. You understand? And I know he's in a, he's in a very peculiar position. Because Megan can never go back there and be satisfied with her whole entire life. She'll be very pleased with her life choices because she really has no reason to go over there, not to, to be around them. Harry, on the other hand, blood ties are hard to sever. I would not be able to understand how Harry could, under any circumstance, to be honest, unless it's, it's an extreme circumstance. I'm, I, and, and whatever you picture for extreme, that's what I'm talking about. Unless it's an extreme circumstance. I just don't see the relationships with these types of people as fixable. I don't. And anything beyond Harry just going to England to do business, I can't see. You know, I love, like I said, I love Harry. I'm not trying to necessarily come down on him. But his family are dogs that don't even care about his well-being. And they only care about having a relationship with him if he no longer has one with his own family. And that is unacceptable. And so let's get into this Robert Lacey excerpt. I'm not going to really delve that far deep into it, like taking it line by line. Because we've all heard it. But... That article, I guess it was in the Telegraph, I really, or the excerpt was in the Telegraph. I saw someone posted like an archive link of it, and that's where I read it. Um, that hit the internet end of last week. And surprise, surprise, there's a whole lot of nonsense coming out of KP. Uh, Kensington Palace, the ghetto, we identified that from Jump. I'm in the ghetto. There's a lot of fuss being made. And I know a lot of people were saying, well, you know, Megan's just doing an eight interview or a, a couple of minutes segment on NPR about her new bestseller, The Bench. Why are they putting out all of this nonsense before a harmless NPR interview? And maybe, maybe people are just not familiar with NPR. NPR is very benign. Ain't nothing Ain't nothing news breaking finna happen on NPR in a segment. I don't care who it is. So all of this stuff was coming out. I don't even really think that it was because of the NPR stuff. Maybe there was some attempt to overshadow, but uh, 
you know, because they're always accusing Megan of overshadowing the others, which is not really that hard to do. But anything Megan's putting out, people are going to be interested in. I don't think she chooses days to say, oh, it's one of their children's birthdays. Let me put out my let me put out my book announcement. But if that's what they want to make it, girl, you go for it. But um, a lot of people are saying this lately. I don't I mean, I really don't know one way or the other, but a lot of people are saying they don't think that um, the book segment on NPR or the interview segment on NPR uh, was the reason that all of this stuff came out. Maybe it was. I don't know. But the timing always seems a little odd, doesn't it? So the Friday before the interview was the Robert Lacey, the uh, Robert Lacey excerpt. And then I think the day after that was the the Charles news about the titles. If you don't know who Robert Lacey is, he's a quote unquote historian because I don't really know nothing about the man other than the fact I never knew he existed until <laughs> literally until this year. Um, but He's a historian and apparently he is a consultant for the crown and he writes books about boring shit. So he, along with a bunch of other talking heads who uh, talk about the Royals all the time, decided to write a book this year. Um, His book was about the battle of the brothers. I think that's the title of it. Uh, And that book was released a couple of months ago and a lot of people well, maybe it been maybe it was more than a couple months ago. But a lot of people were talking about it and you know, he was doing interviews on ABC and just trying to promote the book and you know, that was the hot topic. And apparently it still is. But now after the Oprah interview because the book was released before the interview. After the interview, he decided I got a grand opportunity to sell more books. I don't even think it sold all that much the first go around, but now he's putting these post interview excerpts uh, or chapters in the book and they're supposed to offer better context of things. But from what I'm reading, nothing in the excerpt that everybody was talking about on Friday, the timeline is before way before the interview. So my question is this, why wasn't it included in the first book if this was knowledge that you had or if this was knowledge that you could have had, if this is from someone who knew these details as they happen. So this is just another example of the timing just being so odd. And ultimately, I think the reason for its release is because Harry and Meghan are out here doing their thing in the world. And the royal family, particularly those at Kensington Palace, they're trying to compete. And that's just the black-ass bottom line. Because the whole thing hinges on Harry and Meghan talking to Oprah saying, well, they really started to get jealous when they saw just how popular we were in our first tour. Did you guys notice that? The entire thing, it hint, at least that excerpt, it hinges on Harry saying that and Oprah basically saying, so are you saying they were jealous? So it seems that to me, it, it would seem, let me use it. Let me use a tabloid tactic. Um, it is understood that William decided that 
no, I can't let that narrative go. Let's come up with a narrative that says, no, the issue that I had with Harry and Meghan happened before the tour. And that's why there was a deviation. It wasn't because we were jealous. We're great. We don't have anything to be jealous of. They like us just as much when clearly you can go back to the tape and you can see the differences in how the masses or those who show up for engagements reacted to Harry and Meghan and how they reacted and or still react to Will and Kate. But that's just one measure. Never mind the fact that everything sells out and on and on and on. The excerpt goes through great pains to characterize Harry and Meghan as tyrants, even going so far as to call names, unhinged being one of them, um, damaged goods, narcissistic. I mean, do any of these sound familiar? Don't we hear these from trolls that have repeatedly tried to bully Harry and Meghan on the internet? Um, Things that are so uncharacteristic of anything we know about any of them in their lives before they got with each other. So it makes no sense that they're going to get with each other and just decide to become tyrannical, evil bosses. That just doesn't make sense. So this tells me a couple of things. One, you remember how last week I said there's a coordination between the trolls the tabloids or those in the media that includes people like Lacey and the firm, the family, you know, the palaces, they're all repeating the same language. So I hope that stands out. We never know who these quote unquote sources are, just a friend or a senior royal or a senior staffer. Nobody ever puts a name to a comment. Whereas if Harry and Meghan's friends are speaking out on their behalf, they're saying, it's me. I said it. They didn't even want to be anonymous in the the five friends who came to Meghan's defense in the People magazine article. So that's a huge difference between how the Sussexes operate and how the Cambridges operate. Uh, the Cambridges hide. They're cowards. They hide behind uh, people in the media who can write things like anonymous source or uh, phrases like it is believed or it is understood to have been or what have you. And, you know, I like that. Maybe I should start doing that too. It is believed that William is a psychopath, for example. You know, they call Megan a sociopath. She doesn't have any sociopathic tendencies. That's something that a person is for a lifetime. There's nobody in Megan's history that's going to point to her and say, I mean, you know, she was nice, but there was a, a little bit of sociopathic apathy in her, in her interactions with me on this one particular time. Nobody has ever said any of these things. There have been private investigators hired to dig up dirt on this woman and not a single thing was uncovered. Nothing that points to the allegations coming out of Kensington Palace through Robert Lacey and all of these anonymous voices. And this is where I was talking about Harry. Harry either. Nobody had anything terrible to say about Harry. 
before any of this. And this is why <laughs> this is why I can't see I cannot see it for Harry mending a relationship with a brother who would basically lie on him, like lie on his name. And maybe Harry may have a blow up with someone that he feels he can do that with. <clears throat> so for example, Will, because if you're coming from my wife, you know, I don't really know how I'm going to react. I can see that from Harry, but Harry even said in the Oprah interview I've never yelled at anybody. I don't yell. That doesn't mean I'm not angry, but I don't scream in people's faces. Listen, if you're making the accusation, girl, you need to have the proof. And proof is not something that we find in the the Lacey piece. All it is is sources and this is what we think happened before that particular point in time. What, what I did notice about the Robert Lacey piece is or the excerpt is that it is very sympathetic toward William. It is not sympathetic toward Harry. So this again is where I look at the coordination piece. Robert Lacey is playing a part. He's playing a role. So for example, there's a part in the excerpt that says William felt deeply wounded and hurt and betrayed and he was always so protective of his brother whereas Harry Harry was just fiercely combative like that is deliberate phrasing and he was fiercely combative when it came to his wife's defense I believe was the phrase fiercely combative versus hurt and betrayed but protective Girl, we see it. Teamwork. Teamwork makes the dream work, they say. And how about this little piece of nastiness? I mean, the whole thing was just nasty, like unnecessarily so. Uh, But the only thing Robert Lacey accomplished with this, as far as I can see, is exposing Will and Kate for who they are. And their team, by extension. But how about this? Quote, William believed Megan was following a plan. Agenda was the word he used to his friend. And the accusations he had just heard were alarming. Kate, he said, had been wary of her from the start. This is something that I I can't stress enough. This has done nothing but draw a distinction to me between how Harry and Megan operate and how Will and Kate operate. Please tell me one time one time show me give me a link you know give me a screenshot show me where harry and megan are talking nastily about somebody we're not talking about the oprah interview where they're talking about the institution and making it very clear that they're they're having they're drawing a distinction between the institution of the monarchy and the royal family members now we're not talking about facts We're not talking about what they're saying they experience. We're talking about this, this type of nastiness, the, the name calling, uh, the inferences that call into question someone's character, um, the accusations made about somebody with no proof. And don't forget, Megan said she has receipts for everything that she said publicly in that interview about her experience in England. 
But where have Harry and Meghan ever allowed anybody else to speak for them in a way that was nasty about anybody? We're not talking about Gail King saying, yeah, they had a conversation and it wasn't productive. That's just what it was, right? That's not calling someone a name like damaged goods or uh, unhinged. Because to be honest, it just feels like a lot of projection from Will and Kate. Because I would, I personally, given the limited information I know about these people, but from what I've seen as a person who's been watching this situation for the last couple of years, Will seems more unhinged than anybody. More than Charles, more than maybe not Andrew, but it's he's a close second. Will seems unhinged, you know, whereas Megan, when she talks about Kate, she says Kate's a very nice person. Kate is somebody who, you know, we had a little dust up. I didn't understand why she wasn't as supportive as other people during this time of me planning my wedding and dealing with my father. But she was, but she apologized and, you know, don't hate her just because you love me and on and on and on. Whereas Kate, according to this, was wary, quote unquote, wary from the start. So Kate is portraying herself as a bitch. It's not Megan. Megan hasn't said anything bad about Kate. Megan only spoke her experiences. William is portraying, because he's the, the leader of this, everybody talks about how he runs a tight ship and nothing comes out that he doesn't want to come out. This is what William wants the world to, he wants the world to uh, believe at least about his experience. Maybe he's only convincing the people that like him because he's certainly not convincing me. But he would like to portray his own wife as a bitch. He's portraying himself as an asshole in trying to portray Harry and Megan as assholes. He's only dug a hole for him and his own operation. And to that, I just have to say, keep digging, keep digging girl, keep digging until you hit rock bottom. Because what this piece is trying to do, it's trying to portray William as a strong type, this paternalistic, leader of his clan oh he protects the staff oh well you know they're they're known for treating their staff so lovely because they don't get paid high wages well that in and of itself shows me that that's a toxic work environment because I'm not gonna trade a decent living for you being nice that tells me he's probably not very nice at all because the quickest way to show somebody that you respect them that works for you is to pay them fairly. And so ultimately that just reads like fan fiction. Oh, Will is so nice. Oh, but he's such a tough guy. He threw his own brother out. That's, that's not a good look friend. And so in trying to present themselves as the good guys, they just look like they're projecting to me. So I question just about everything that's presented in this piece, at least how it, whatever the events are that unfolded, how they were presented. I'm not taking this version. I'm definitely not. And as we, as far as we know, Harry and Megan have not gone on the record to talk about any of those details because they're just a little bit classier than that. Just because they don't want to 
speak poorly about other people. And to me, I've always learned that that says a lot about you when you publicly speak poorly about somebody else. It reflects badly on you, not the person you're speaking about. Right. And then for somebody who's going to be king and this is how you operate. It's a little bit Trumpy to me. You know, it's a little bit Trump, um, Trumpian. And this person is going to be the leader of y'all's country. Like he's going to be the, and I understand y'all say, well, the monarch don't have power. And it's that the monarch got power. The monarch has power. They have more power than they should. I mean, Queen's consent told you that. That person's going to be your, your king. Um, I, I just don't know how you tolerate it. And the young people are definitely not going to tolerate it from what, from everything that we're seeing, they're just not into it. I said something earlier about the fact that they didn't want to go with the narrative that the Australian tour was something that proved that Harry and Meghan were far more popular, which it was. It proved that they were far more popular than Will and Kate because Will and Kate are supposed to be the big shit. Let's say that that is actually not what happened. And let's say there was a rift before the Australia tour kicked off. That's probably more problematic for Will and Kate because what this says to me, when you see how closely uh, Jason Knopf was involved, when you see uh, all of these people, because you remember around the time when other people, you know, that had either whether they worked for the Queen or worked for Kensington Palace were leaving for various reasons. Uh, and you saw the press writing about it in a way that poor, like basically pointed the finger at Megan. And then you saw the, um, I don't know whether Hurricane Megan, that whole thing was before or after the tour. I can't remember. But it was sort of all around the same time. To me, option two would be that Harry and Megan, because their popularity was high from jump. Like before the wedding, it was just, it was just up there. Will and Kate saw the writing on the wall. And so then they begin to hatch this long-term plan that says that as soon as they got any inkling, at least from the staff, that they weren't willing to adapt to a new style of work, because that's what you were going to get with Megan, because she works hard, you know what I'm saying? And you saw the articles about the 5 a.m. emails and things like that. That doesn't necessarily mean you're a slave driver, but if you used to being lazy because Will and Kate are lazy, so they're not going to really ask you, ask much of you and you already don't get paid enough. So how can they, I guess? Um, I think they hatched this long-term plan. It's a possibility. They hatched this long-term plan to say, well, we're going to say that she's just a bully and that's how we're going to bring her down. That's how we're going to basically ruin her reputation in this country because they didn't anticipate that by this point in time that Harry and Meghan would be living in California. So they had already had the wheels in motion, all right? So that if and when they needed to point to a starting point for these bogus bullying allegations, they could start there. And now that we see Harry and Meghan are in California, now that we see, I mean, we, none of us predicted the pandemic, but the pandemic happened. It's like really half of this time. Um, 
now that we see that, you know, Megan, if she ever comes back to England to be around the royal family, uh, it won't be until 2022. Well, suddenly we see that the family wants to extend these investigations into these bogus bullying claims until 2022. So basically this is the, this is the family showing us, I believe that they are wanting to drag this out for as long because they're fighting a war of attrition. They want to drag it out for as long as they feel they need to. So whether it be whenever Megan finally comes back to England, they want it to be as toxic an environment as possible. The press wants that. The family wants that. The the trolls and critics and all of that online, they want that. All of the Megan haters, all of the right wing racist types. This is the ultimate goal. And the Robert Lacey piece is just playing a part in that. When Harry and Megan were living in England, we said they were a shield and they were a shield. The Royal family was hiding behind the Harry and Meghan abuse, the abuse they got in the press, the abuse that the family could hide behind. Well, now that Harry and Meghan are no longer in England, Harry and Meghan are now a target. They are the target. They went from being the shield to the target. And I guess that's their punishment for removing themselves as the shield for the backstabbers. And now the backstabbers are aiming at them in broad daylight. Not based on anything real, but doing it just because they can. And the royal family, they're going to fight this war of attrition, whether it's warranted or not. Because ultimately what the goal is, is to bring Harry and Meghan into the war so that Harry and Meghan aren't focusing on the things that they want to do. The royal family knows that they're in the mud. The tabloids, they know they're in the mud. The trolls, they know they're in the mud. What they're trying to do is get Harry and Meghan dirty. They want Harry and Meghan to engage because what, what the royal family has for it is history on its side. It has a track record of winning, quote unquote. All right. Harry and Meghan, they're just a family out here trying to live their life. But you wouldn't know that when you look at how the royal family, I believe, and the tabloids and, you know, folks on the Internet, how they're targeting them. You would think Harry and Meghan know something about this institution that could bring it down, girl. We don't know. You would think, but it's their right to know if they know it, whatever it happens to be. A lot of people are saying, well, it could just be that, you know, they're focusing on Harry and Meghan because there's some other things that could be coming down the pike. Maybe all ain't well in the Cambridge household. Word is old girl is looking for homes in Berkshire, which is where she's from. Really, that ain't none of my business and I don't give a fuck. But somehow that would be bad for the monarchy. And yeah, again, we do see that they're promoting Kate as if she's the last great white hope for the monarchy. 
because apparently they don't have any faith in Will or something. I don't know. Or they don't have any faith in Charles and they just want to skip Charles and have it go straight to the Cambridges. But Diana said in her time that it, it is a gilded cage. So a girl can't be happy, especially when, you know, even though that's what she wanted, that's what she chased. You know, she followed the dude to Chile or wherever he went for his gap year, the exact same organization. That's where she went. She was a stalker. She had the boy in her, you know, on her wall, you know, fangirling, you know, she followed him to, to university, you know, um, that's what she wanted and she got it, but it ain't what she thought it was. Apparently, perhaps maybe. So we're hearing all, you know, things are not as, as, they appear to be in the Cambridge household. It is believed or it is understood to be uh, Rocky in the household. But that, that has nothing to do with Harry and Meghan. But perhaps they're covering that up. That's what a lot of a squad are saying. Um, again, it could be something that was done to, uh, to Meghan or Harry themselves. Harry said himself in Africa, if you knew the things that I knew... If you knew the things that I knew, <laughs> then you would be act, be reacting the same way that I am in order to try to protect my family. Harry said that way back before they even announced they were moving to America. Harry said that. So we don't know what it is, but we know that the royal family is coming out, and especially Will uh, and his household, they're coming out real strong against Harry and Meghan. Harry and Meghan are on maternity leave. So that says that says another thing about Will and Kate, the fact that they would target a pregnant woman not once but twice and after she's had her child, knowing full well Kate would never be treated like that. But after the Oprah interview, Kate couldn't even go on her own engagement by herself. And that's where Will, and it turned out to be, it turned out to be karma because Will was the one who didn't end up saying we're very much not a racist family. But his whole purpose for going there was to quote unquote protect Kate. But somehow Harry's not able to protect his wife, you know. So that's what they're doing. They're aiming at Harry and Meghan. You know, they want Harry and Meghan. They they want to basically goad them out so that they can sling mud at each other. And basically say, see, look, this is who we said that she was the whole time. This is who they are. Look at, look how crazy and unhinged these two people are. Oh my God. I'm so worried about their children. Oh, what, whatever, whatever. The Royal family, the tabloids, they're masters at crafting smear campaigns. And this is echoing the very smear campaign that was waged against Princess Diana. Go back and look at the headlines. They called her crazy. You know, they 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 said that she, I mean, even in The Crown, they talked about how um, <laughs> when Diana was basically on the rocks with Charles and how she was unhinged and they were all sitting there with their teams you know, questioning her mental health. Girl, go ahead and get out of here. We see what is happening. We see what you're trying to do, but you're panicking because you you haven't been successful up to this point. The palace, they haven't been as successful as in the past they would have been. They didn't anticipate Megan deciding to just leave and Harry deciding to leave with her. 
And to be honest, it didn't happen that way. Harry said, we're all leaving. But Megan said, I'm good. I'm good. I don't need this in my life. They didn't anticipate after they left that they would have a whole nation on their side. And now what it seems like they're trying to do, they're trying to turn Megan's home country against her, trying to rely on that old racism. That's why you see channels like Fox News, you see, uh, which is basically Great Britain News, it's the same bullshit. You see uh, right-wing owned papers like the New York Post, they always write shady stuff about Megan. And you're trying to work on the bigots over here. Y'all know y'all got MAGA in your corner, but suddenly y'all want to get mad when the queen is on the MAGA bus? Again, this is people wanting to have it both ways. But they're trying to turn Megan's home country against her because in the battle for relevancy, they can't believe that they, the members of the active monarchy, are losing that battle. So they're trying to bring Harry and Megan down by a war of attrition. So whether it's the Lacey excerpt, whether it's Charles deciding he's not going to give titles to his grandkids, whether it's folks like Camilla Tomini going on TV telling lies and otherwise people just writing lies in the papers. Royalists, I guess, monarchists. Harry and Meghan are just still going to be doing Harry and Meghan. They're going to be living their lives. And everything they do will succeed. Whether you like it or not, whether you like the bench or not, it's always going to be a New York Times number one bestseller. And that's just an example. And here's another example. The Me You Can't See, critically acclaimed across the board, up for an Emmy. Well, not yet, but it probably will be. But it, it, put, it was put its name into the, the Emmy, primetime Emmy consideration. But you know who else put their name in, in for the primetime Emmy consideration for documentary series and or program? William did. But wait a minute. I thought you said that Harry and Meghan were just Hollywood. But y'all were royalty. And so there was a major difference. Why are you trying to put yourself in, in, in our award, award ceremony up for consideration? I hope they don't look twice at that bullshit. But yet, you're trying to, again, copy the ones you said were irrelevant. You're doing exactly what you think that they would do, only you know and we know that they're doing it better. It just don't pass the smell test. And I don't know why y'all don't see that. you just rather go out here and make fools of yourselves. And that is unbecoming. Because at least act, quote-unquote, royal, right, Act the way that you said that Harry and Meghan were not acting and that was the reason why they couldn't use the word royal, for example, like that pettiness. Why don't you go off and be regal and be quiet somewhere? Like, go go do that. But you can't do that. You're not capable. Is it that you're unhinged? Because it would seem that way to me. And to finish up, it seems that Camilla Tomini was caught in yet another lie and if you don't know who she is, Camilla Tomini is a writer for The Telegraph. She just writes about royals. And don't mistake her for being a journalist because that she is not. But she's very cozy with the palaces. And since Megan's entry into the royal scene, she's done nothing but lie on her. 
And understand, that's not conjecture. That's fully verifiable. While Camilla Longface Tomini went on this morning to talk about who else but Megan, um, talking about the bench and what Harry and Megan are up to since the interview. But what made the rounds this week was the lie that she told on Megan and a lie that she didn't even have to tell. Something she could have spent no more than about two minutes fact-checking. But that's too much to ask because when you don't have any standards, you don't bother with it at all. You just go straight on air and spout nonsense. Now, if this were the first thing that Camilla has done that was not completely accurate, but up through this point, she's been completely neutral and gone out of her way to make sure that what was reported was actually true, then I think this definitely wouldn't have made the rounds that it did. Uh, the rounds that it did this week with the hashtag Camilla Tomini is a liar because that is a hashtag fact. But because Camilla Tomini is who she is, that is something that people could not let slide. This is the person who wrote the Megan made Kate cry story who after the Oprah interview went on the same show that she just told this lie on and failed to successfully defend her story because for once somebody actually held her feet to the fire and say, Hey, you wrote it. Why don't you answer for it? She was unable to defend her bullshit. She also wrote the Megan is associating with terrorists after the hub community kitchen that article, she wrote that. She went on Australian television and told a lie about a like a spoof or a fake little pamphlet that had been circulating around Windsor saying don't um, basically saying that it was Harry and Megan putting this out, saying that uh, they were telling the neighbors not to pet their dog, not to come up to their door. Just like a little uh, thing that went around in a community meeting that was debunked in England. But she days before she went to Australia saying that Harry and Meghan had put it out. It was a lie. So she knows when she's lying, but she chooses to do it anyway. Uh, for the Vogue cover, I mean, I don't know, is this bitch stupid or is she just racist? When the Forces for Change magazine came out, she says, well, you know, Meghan doesn't have a right to say that uh, things are pale stale and male you know she has only two white women on the cover of her vogue magazine when really if you count it it was at least five like a full third but she had to change the number from two to five and even then what does it matter so camilla tomini is the scum of the earth and she knows it and she is a mouthpiece for the royal family uh She's very staunchly right wing and she knows that like she's not even trying to hide it because just now I'm seeing where I'm blocked, but I see the screenshots. Someone says, oh, well, you know, all of these lefty woke folks are coming after you and she's retweeting it like, oh, well, you know, yeah, I agree, but I don't care. Thanks for your support. Uh, she thinks she's Megan Kelly and Laura Ingram. Oh, she's the equivalent, one of the equivalents of that. But the difference between her and them, at least those bitches are paid. Camilla's a professional troll who I believe is 
deployed by the royal family to troll Megan. And that's her purpose now. So she goes on this morning and she begins talking about the bench. And she says that Megan says Archie is a voracious reader. And that's an interesting point because he's only two years old. <laughs> and here's the sinister part in all of that. The delivery of that lie she passes it off as if it's just harmless. Like the lie she's telling is harmless. She basically twisted Megan's words, I believe deliberately, and describes it as interesting, right? Casting doubt on what Megan said about her son enjoying books. Um, and for the people who were just watching that show in passing, who don't know the history of Camilla being a Megan bully, what it does is it casts doubt, but in a sort of harmless appearing way, um, cast doubt on what Megan is saying. And then what that does is it just adds to this idea that Megan can't be trusted to tell the truth about anything. When ironically, she hasn't lied about anything up to this point. But it goes into this idea that you must call into question the things that a woman of color is saying just to ultimately be able to point to her as being someone who is not credible so that when they need to be believed the most, you don't believe them. And by the way, in that same segment where Camilla was on the, uh, the, the show talking about the book and telling lies on Megan, she also used the word agenda and applied the word to Megan in the same exact way that the Robert Lacey piece says Will applied the word to Megan, saying that she had an agenda. Maybe it's just all about the US market, which yeah. she sees as both more lucrative, but also more in keeping with her PR aims and agenda. And therefore, it doesn't matter how it sells in the UK. So it's kind of like the trolls and the journalists and the family are all on the same page. And you know how we say the trolls are always pouring over every detail of every soundbite of everything that Harry and Meghan do? Well, they listened to the NPR interview. It was, you know, it's just like crack to them. And they're the ones who started twisting Megan's words first saying, oh, well, look, she says Archie is a two-year-old who reads. And I kind of mentioned that earlier in the podcast. It's like people read to their children all the time. But what they did was twist her words. And so we see people like Angela Levin retweeting trolls. We see uh, Richard Palmer retweeting and engaging with trolls. We see Camilla doing it all the time. Rebecca English, all of them. And I mean, every last one of them engage with these trolls and Megan haters on a regular basis. But either way, Camilla is either a troll or she's just shitty at her job and has zero standards when it comes to what she writes and is disseminated out there for the public. You just don't fact check. And when it comes to Megan, why would you fact check when the goal is just to tarnish her anyway? So then that same day, someone in the squad, shout out to Faith, who created the video where it basically juxtaposes the lie that Camilla told and the truth of what Megan actually said about Archie. That was quite nice. She said that Archie was a voracious reader, which is an interesting claim considering he's only two years old. Christian, I haven't told you that. Archie oh, loves the book, what? <laughs> um, which is great because he, he has a voracious appetite for books. And constantly when we read him a book, he goes again, again, again. 
everybody make sure you guys go follow at faith underscore first number one on twitter she made that excellent video uh and she also made a really brilliant suggestion in that that's kind of how you got to combat these people which is something we, we've all known but i think there needs to now be a more focused effort and you see all it takes is just the 30 second or one minute clip because it's something that you can easily share and it's something that catches people's attention because it brings attention to the fact that it's just lie after lie after lie. And then ultimately what it amounts to is death by a thousand cuts. And this is that coordinated right wing effort that we see of these types of people just going after Megan for no good reason. So I think we ought to take up that challenge. That's something that I think it would be effective among other things, among reaching out to uh, folks who are verified, who have already voiced concern about what they've witnessed in terms of what Megan has uh, experienced as, as a Royal, but shout out to her. Make sure you go follow her. And if you haven't seen the video, check it out. And, and more importantly, make sure you share it. That's the power of something like TikTok, for example, and, and Gen Z's content around Harry and Megan and how they're treated and roasting Will <laughs> and because that's what he deserves. And um, just the hypocrisy that we see in how Megan's treated and the others and the royal family and just the, the ludicrous nature of it all. So the hashtag goes viral. It's still viral within the squad. It's still something that people are engaging with. And then it turns into something else. So we see Camilla, her feathers are a little bit ruffled because now she's not just telling lies to her audience and going on about her day. She's now put in a position to have to answer for her words and actions. And she doesn't like that. So what does she do? She, she does that, that thing that always works for white women. She's the victim now. And people from all over are coming at her saying, hey, no, but you lied because this is what you said she said and this is what she actually said. And what is Camilla's response? I'm going to block you. I've been blocked. Like I said, I've been blocked. And let me tell you why I was blocked. Do you remember when Megan wrote her New York Times op-ed about um, having a miscarriage, the losses we all share? And what Camilla said, because Camilla is always an aggressor. This is This is what I'm saying about Kate as well. She comes across as to the person who doesn't pay attention as harmless. But underneath it all, she has some really evil energy in her body. She has some evil intentions. So what she said after the Megan piece in the New York Times was specifically directed at Megan's supporters. You know, a lot of the conversation after the the piece that Megan wrote was, that Megan experienced a lot of bullying online and she still does. But what Camilla said was, well, you know, there are, and, and this is something I've only ever seen white women do on the internet. I'm telling you with regard to Harry and Megan, not saying all of y'all do it, but it's only ever been white women. They love to both sides the shit. So what Camilla said was, well, you know, yeah, Megan did receive some bullying, but I have to say there was a lot of hate on both sides. And, you know, that has to be spoken to. 
And what I said to her was, basically, you've encouraged Megan trolls under your tweets for years. You've engaged with them as she's engaging with them now because that ain't changed. I said, you've engaged with them and you've just allowed it to exist. Not once have you asked anybody to delete anything they've written about Megan, but yet you're saying that her supporters are just as bad. It's kind of like what that Ellie Hall chick said. No, I said, that's just not going to work. And she blocked me and that's fine. I, I take it as a badge of honor, but this is what she does. Whenever you come at her with facts, she blocks you. Because that's too much for her because she deals in lies. You can't bring truth to people like that. So she blocked a whole bunch of people around this hashtag Camilla Tomini is a liar. She can't block everybody, though. She can't block everybody. So this is where squad creative, squad talent, any thinking outside the box, it comes into play. This is where it's necessary because we have to be as unrelenting as they are with Megan. You ain't got to cuss nobody out. You don't even have to engage with them directly. Just create truth content that's displaying the truth. Because the truth is something that they cannot stand. And that's what bullies do. They run and they hide when someone stands up to them. And what I love most since I've been watching Harry and Meghan, I, I, you know, we say as Sussex Squad, we don't call ourselves royal watchers. We're Harry and Meghan fans period we don't really watch the others we don't give a fuck what they're doing but don't mess with our faves you feel me but as much as they love to talk about what royal watching was like before harry and megan became a couple and before you know the sussex squad became a thing was just how civil it was oh how wonderful it was well you know what i guess when there was not a black person in the mix you didn't realize you were racist but as soon as Megan joined in, y'all decided that y'all didn't like it. But you never had any real good reasons because Megan is not going to give you a good reason to dislike her because she's a likable person. But it's just something about that Negro that you don't like. And we call it out. And you don't like it. So that's why royal watching ain't civil no more. That's why people out here writing think pieces on people who are royal fans. And the... People who are previously existing royal watchers are basically Megan haters now, the majority of them. There are those who decided, wait, I don't really like how the royal watchers are disregarding and disrespecting Megan. I'm a Megan fan now. Fuck the rest of them. There's a handful of y'all in there. We see y'all. But for the most part, the Megan haters, they resent how formidable her fans are. And that includes the royal reporters who interact with these Megan haters. Here's something else Camilla Tomini did. So after the hashtag Camilla Tomini is a liar took off and, you know, she had to answer for all of these new tweets that she's getting under her tweets. And um, she decides that she's going to make up a death threat. I believe... Because it is understood that the screenshot she shared doesn't match the fields that are on her website when you want to contact Camilla Tomini. So not only is she a liar when it comes to Megan, she's just straight up 
telling lies about death threats and making them up and, you know, basically saying someone targeted herself and her children and her husband. And the first person I saw point this out was Lady Rock Savage on Twitter. I saw her post. If you look at what Camilla Tomini posted as the so-called death threat that we believe she made up, it's it's somewhat hilarious. Uh, I have to say, <laughs> and I'm not saying I don't take death threat seriously because I do, but this one I can't. And here's why. You can look at it and tell that it was either written by somebody who's just a, a moron, right? Or it's just made up by her. But see, the thing is, in the top of the screenshot, it says camillatomany.com. When you go to camillatomany.com and then you click on contact us, there's a little form that comes up. You'll see four fields and they all have names. The first one is title. The second field heading is name. The third field's heading is email address. And the final one is information. But when you look at the death threat that she posted, here are the four titles. Title. The second one is name. The third one is email. See, but the fourth one is question. And you know why that don't make sense? Because it should be information just like her website because the website's not going to get a mind of its own and decide to change the fourth field heading from information to question. And so the lie detector determined that was a lie. And what did she do next? She did the thing that as we understand her friends in the palace implored her to do, which is to taint Harry and Meghan's name any way possible. So Camel T. Tomini says, we must call out online hatred when we see it, which is why I'm posting this death threat sent to my website this morning in the name of the hashtag Harry and Meghan fandom. Never be cowed by these abject hypocrites. That sounds like she had that in her drafts. I'm not even going to lie. It sounds like she had it in her drafts. And she just been waiting to deploy it. That's it. Because when has Camilla ever called out online hatred? Ever. Ever. And as people pointed out, the email address that's listed doesn't even exist. But I'm going to give her that because you can put whatever email you want to put. But the information you receive from what is input into those fields, the headings aren't going to change by the time they get to you. If somebody sent you a message through your own website. It says camillatomany.com right above the supposed death threat so if each of those fields are titled alpha bravo charlie delta then that's what you're gonna get in your inbox when you get a new message from your your website it's not gonna change from delta to echo you feel me it just ain't gonna work so that's how we know you lying and not only that, but if you really felt like you were under threat, you wouldn't telegraph your moves. You would be reaching out to the police. And like the Metro Police said on Twitter, reach out to us. Let us get to the bottom of it, girl. Let us help you. I bet we don't hear another thing about it. Because she made it up. That ain't even like us to be sending no death threats. That's like them. That's like them. 
Because we know that if we do that, that would make Harry and Meghan look bad. And they're already under assault. So for this coward to basically pull a Karen move and lie, lie on a bunch of black and brown people about her having a death threat, which we know she made up. Um, it's typical, you know, it's, it's a formula that it didn't work for her, but it generally works for white women. However, it just makes her look stupider than she did before. And it's so unprofessional. But in this case, Camilla doesn't have to worry about never having a job. Because she's doing her job for the people that she's supposed to do it for. And she knows she's playing her part in trying to destroy Harry and Meghan's reputation. She said it herself. Specifically, she tweeted just this year, public opinion defines their reputation. Public opinion is, in part, shaped by the press and social media and commentary, etc., that's what a reputation is. It is defined as the beliefs or opinions that are generally held about someone or something. So she's doing her part to trash Harry and Meghan's reputation, to create a reputation, especially in England. All right. Because at least in terms of what we can see, that's where they think it matters most. She's doing her part to ruin their reputation. Whether that means coming after their fans and faking death threats, whether it means going on this morning and implying that Megan just lies no matter what she says. Because, of course, if she lies about her two-year-old being able to read, which she didn't, but that's, that's what Camilla said, and nobody questioned her when she said that. The two, there were two people sitting there. They didn't question her. So they didn't fact check either. But, you know, whether she's lying on TV about that or she's lying about, you know, Megan making Kate cry. The idea is if Megan will lie about her two-year-old son, then what else will she lie about? Certainly some of the things she said in the Oprah interview couldn't have been true. So it's like since the Oprah interview... There's just been an onslaught. Just they're stopping at nothing to call everything that Harry and Meghan do into question, specifically on, on a credibility standpoint. And Camilla's just doing her part. She's one of the soldiers in this war of attrition. But don't you dare call her a journalist because she's not that. And don't let her call herself a journalist. And one of my followers on Instagram says something that was very true in that Camilla saying the thing about Megan and Archie and, and the book and all of that and reading, it wasn't harmless at all. What she's doing, to quote Catherine, who left the comment, is she's constantly cultivating a cloud of suspicion around Megan. That is the game. And I think these people think if they can do that long enough, then ultimately they will win. And a victory for them basically looks like Harry and Meghan losing their influence, losing their deals, not being as bankable as we can all see that they are right now. In essence, falling way, way down on the respectability and the relevance scale. And the foundation that these three groups stand on that coordinate so closely together, the monarchy, the trolls, and the tabloids. 
They stand on the foundation of racism. They can always rely on that. And they're leaning into it quite heavily. They'll complain and explain that they're not a racist family and explain that, you know, it ain't about race, but it's about saving the taxpayers money, which is why the kids can't have the title. And they'll never call anybody the N-word, at least not publicly. But at the end of the day, we know it's the foundation they stand on. And they're not hiding that from anybody. And to that, I just say, keep digging. Keep digging. Because the grave you think you're digging for somebody else is the one you're digging for yourself. Because karma is watching. She's watching. She's watching. <laughs> Go ahead and uh, keep digging, girl. Because I got to say, it's, um, it's kind of fun to watch. And so, yeah, that is pretty much all I have for today. This is a long one. Uh, but for squad who are looking to make some quick videos, some little clips, uh, very effective. It doesn't even have to be anything crazy. Um, get you like some video editing, uh, like a video editing app. I use CapCut. Go to the App Store. Go to your Google Play Store. Put it on your phone. It's very simple. Um and, and to be honest, in this age, that's how you combat that. If you can't do that, then just share it when you come across something that you find effective that is debunking a lie that is being told, whether that lie is being told by Kensington Palace, Clarence House, Camilla Tomini, any of these royal reporters. I wouldn't really engage with the trolls, but reporters who have, you know, uh, publications that they write for, yeah, they're not... Pulitzer Prize winning journalists, but they do have a responsibility, so they should be held to account. So we have that job to do if we can do it. Um, you don't have to have a podcast. You don't have to have, you know, 10,000 followers on any platform. You can simply just spread the truth. It can be stressful defending Harry and Meghan. Don't stress yourself out. Just when you see something that's truth to combat a lie, spread the truth instead of the lie. It's really that simple. So let me get up off of here, girl, because I got so many things to do. Make sure you follow me on Twitter. I am at Megan Moo. You can find me on Instagram at Sussex Set. You can find me on TikTok. You can find me on Patreon. You can find me on YouTube. You can find me on iTunes. You can find me on Spotify. Find me wherever you want to find me and say hi. I love to hear from you guys. And as always, thank you for tuning in. Also, what I am going to do on the YouTube page uh, because I know a lot of people don't listen to the full podcast or they, they can't all the time listen to the full podcast. I'll be uploading segments uh, for people who may not have, you know, an hour and a half or so. Uh, just So just segments as videos uh, between podcasts so that people can kind of keep up for that. So for a lot of you guys, it'll just be like, you know, duplicate information um but it's something that some people can catch in the meantime if they if they don't catch the full episode so uh be looking out for that and that's also another way that I just decided that I want to help try to combat some of the false narratives is to try to reach more people so um I hope you guys are taking care of yourselves 
I will see you guys around. And until next time, peace. I'm a bad bitch. You can't kill me. Kill me.